you got your Bible, take it and find Acts chapter 14. I am really glad to be back on, here on a Sunday. I feel like I've been gone for a long time. Uh, I think the last time we were all together, I, wasn't, I was here, but I was up teaching the youth group. I was asked to teach the youth group that morning. So I like it's been a minute since we were in Acts, but I'm really glad to be back. I love this book, and I'm, I'm ready to jump back in it. So here we are in Acts chapter 14 this week, um, and uh, with it, we are uh, still in the, in the first missionary journey of, of Paul. So if you're at all familiar with Acts, if you're familiar with um, Paul and his ministry, you probably know that he, in Acts, made three missionary journeys, three of them. And uh, the first we have here in chapters 13 and 14, if you're just taking notes and want to know where you can find these three d- different missionary journeys, the first one here is in chapters 13 and 14. We'll come up on the, the, the second one at the end of chapter 15, and it'll run all the way through chapter 18. And then the third and final, um, the end of chapter 18 through, the, through chapter 21. Um, but so in chapter 14, we're in the, in the second half of this first missionary journey, which was of the three, the shortest of those, and just the minutiae, you're probably, this is probably around the year 46 or 47, um, so about 15 or so years after the death, resurrection, ascension of Christ, so this is, think, think the end of the Gospels, this is about 15 years later, what we're reading today. Um, so Paul and Barnabas had been sent out by the church in Antioch, in Syria, and uh, here in chapter 14, we're going to see him mainly in the cities of Iconium and Lystra. He will make a, an appearance in a city called Derby, but, um, but mainly we have the accounts of him in Iconium and Lystra before they backtrack through those places and return to home base in Antioch. So we need to read the chapter before we look at it, and uh, this is a fascinating chapter. I hope, I try to tell you a little bit ahead of time, sometimes it's Sunday morning, uh, what we're, uh, we're going to be reading through that day, but try to read it before you come. You'll, you'll really get more out of it. So Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia and the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycanian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, two two of the Greek gods, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands 
to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Saul and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments, rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are, are, are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, Yet he did not leave himself without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. When they had passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, um, then they did that. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Let's pray. Father, what we just read aloud is, is uh, in obedience to your command not to neglect the, the public reading of your word um, and not to read it aloud in the gathered people. What we just read, we, um, we declare our faith that it is your holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, clear, and necessary word. And uh, we want to, to bow in our minds, our hearts, our affections, our obedience to what it says. So we pray, Father, that you would give us minds to understand the truth that we see here. And please give us not just minds to understand it, even the Jews in Jesus' day searched the scriptures because they felt like in them they would find life, but missed altogether that it was the scriptures that pointed forward to, to Jesus Christ, and he's the life giver. So not only give us eyes to see the truth and to see uh, Jesus Christ in them, in his glory, but give us hearts to embrace and love the truth that we see here. And on top of that, give us wills, please, to obey what you call us to do, regardless of the cost. For as we just read, Paul said, it is through tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Give me the help that I need to teach and give us all ears to hear. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, this is a fascinating chapter. I mean, you could put that on, on repeat for every chapter we come to in Acts, but that for this one, it really is true. Um, in fact, there's so much to see and to notice and to learn in this chapter that I, I, there's, we, can't, we can't notice everything in the time that we have. Um, so we're going to have to just uh, hit the high spots. And here's how I want to break this thing down and look at it. 
As I, as I read and reread and reread this chapter, um, it's not like it, it breaks down neatly. I know he goes from this place to this place to this place, but, but for teaching purposes, it's not like it has three clear sections. But rather, what, I, what I've found is like there's like three different angles that you can look at the whole thing. Three different angles that you can look at the whole thing, and that's what I want to point out to you this morning. So the first thing that I think is prominent in this chapter is the witness of the apostles. That's, that's practically on every page of Acts. I mean, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. Um, and, and it's their, their fulfillment of Jesus' final words to them in Acts 1-8 to, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And, um, and, and we see not only their, their bearing witness but uh, in obedience to Acts 1-8, but also through the progression of the book of Acts, we see it moving just as Jesus said, uh, from Jews to, in Jerusalem to all Judea and Samaria, and now beginning to open the door to the Gentiles. In fact, some of the last words of this chapter are them declaring how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. That is to us. But you can't read about their witness in this chapter without thinking about the reaction of the people. Like, um, this may be the most prominent thing in this chapter is the reaction of the people. I see three different distinct reactions to Paul's preaching um, that, are, that are worth noting. But also, finally, sort of, sort of dripped and dropped throughout the whole chapter We've, we're reminded in different ways of the work of the Lord in all of this. You see this highlighted in the beginning, in the middle, and at the end of the chapter. So that's what I want us to see. That's where we're going. So let's think first about the witness of the apostles. Like I said, this is going to be an emphasis throughout the whole chapter. There are a couple of uh, noteworthy references to the witness of, witness of the apostles later on in the chapter that I'm going to save uh, till later on in our time. I'll come back around to it in a little bit. What I want to emphasize and zoom in on right now are a few instances of their witness in the early verses of the chapter, like particularly the first seven verses. Um, in these first seven verses, there's three different references to the witness of the apostles to, um, to Christ, and, and each teaches us something about it. So, for example, in verse 1, you read that uh, they entered the, together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And then you come down to verse 3, and it says they, re, they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. Then you come down to verse 7, and when they, when they left that place and were scattered about, they continued to preach the gospel. I mean, just repeatedly in, the, in these early verses, you have testimony to the to the, the bold and constant witness of the apostles. And I just want to go back through those three references and, and note something about each one. Before we do, I want, to, I, want to be, I want to lay out something that maybe you already know and something you've already thought about, but maybe some of you haven't. Um, we need to be reminded that the, the commission that they had to bear witness to Christ is the same commission we have to bear witness to Christ. Um. We talk a lot, at least in this church, we talk a lot about um, the Great Commission. It's quoted a lot. It's sort of in our purpose statement as a church. I think sometimes we talk about the Great Commission so much, sometimes we, we no longer stop to think deeply about it. And So, for example, uh, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus said, all, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Like I said, sometimes we talk about that so much we stop thinking about it very deeply. And 
you know, some people might be reading through the Gospels and say, well, Jesus was standing uh, before his 11 disciples after the departure of Judas, and, and he told this to them. So this was their, this was their commission. I mean, they're the ones standing there, and they're the ones that really took it seriously, and most of them gave their lives in obedience to that commission. But I want us to remember that just, yeah, while it did immediately pertain to those first disciples, those first apostles, I mean, they were the ones standing there. That command, that commission, has, has within it uh, the command that also makes it immediately applicable to me and you. Okay, let me just explain what I mean by that. The central command, you probably know, of that commission is make disciples. Okay, go and make disciples and, 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 and do it by baptizing and teaching. What that means is make disciples, in other words, help them come to faith in Christ and thus baptizing. And then once they have, help them uh, to, to uh, disciple them in the faith, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded him. And once you get to that point with a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, once they have come into the faith and they've been baptized, and you are teaching them how to walk in obedience to Christ, how to observe all the things that Christ has commanded, one of the very first things that Christ has commanded is make disciples. In this command right here. This is something that is to be passed on to every disciple. When you make disciples and you teach them how to obey Christ, you can't skip over this. The command is to make disciples. And, and, and so if, if, if those of us here, if we, have, uh, if, if, we have, if we count ourselves among his disciples, if, if we are trusting in Christ and count ourselves among his disciples, then we have received, not only are we to pass this on to people we disciple, but whoever discipled us should have passed this along to us. And so this commission is our commission. We've all received this commission that he gave to his first disciples. And likewise, Jesus telling his first, those disciples in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That too is not just for the first disciples and apostles, but for us too. Even within the book of Acts, they didn't assume that this was just for the apostles to obey. How do we know that? We've already seen, just as one example, we've already, because we're in chapter 14, we've already come across a very clear example that that wasn't true. Acts chapter 8, for example. Remember in Acts chapter 7, that Stephen was stoned to death as the first Christian martyr. And a whole wave of persecution of Christians arose out of that one event. And we were told in Acts chapter 8 verse 1 that there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And, there they, they, and they were scattered, the believers were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So... In that, when everybody was scattered except the apostles, they stayed there in Jerusalem. If, if Acts 1-8 had only to do with the apostles, you might think that the bearing of witness to Christ stayed there in Jerusalem with them. But what do you read in that very chapter in verse 4? Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So, ordinary, quote-unquote, ordinary church members went about fulfilling the same commission that Jesus had given to the first apostles. Their commission is our commission. So when we see them bearing witness to Christ in Acts, it is good that we notice how they went about it. It's a good example for us to follow. We see that here in Acts 14. So we read in, in verse 1, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. 
Now, this is not saying that it was because of the way they spoke that people believed. We don't have that much power, right? But it's hard to translate into English what it says. The Greek literally just says, he spoke thusly, (laughs) he spoke thusly, and a great number of people believed. Well, how thusly did he speak? Well, it doesn't tell us exactly here, but if you, if you, if you go to parallel passages in Acts, you kind of get uh, an indication of how they bore witness here. So, for example, the nearest parallel passage to this would be Acts chapter 17, where it talks about how he went into a synagogue. So Acts 17, 1 and 2 says, Now when they had passed, passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. It was customary. He was doing it here in 14. And three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. To me, that's thusly. He spoke thusly. This is what he did. He would go in there, and he would reason with them from the Scriptures. And at the very least, that ought to challenge us to know the Scriptures well enough, to be in the Scriptures deeply enough that when we have the opportunity, we can reason with people from the Scriptures. And I want to say, just as a, as a side note practical to that, one of the easiest ways to bear witness to Christ is, is once you get to know someone and you know they're not a believer, ask them to go get coffee with you and just ask them if they want to read the Bible with you. Ask, ask them if they want to read the Bible with you. They may not have ever read the Bible. And, 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 and the worst that they could happen is to say, no, that's the worst that could happen. But if they do... Go and meet with you, and you just simply read the Bible with them. Read one of the Gospels with them. Reading and reasoning from the Scriptures is the best witness of all. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is a way better evangelist than you are. Right? And, 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 and just reading the Scriptures with people, the Holy Spirit speaks through the simple Scriptures in much more persuasive way than you ever could, or I ever could. And you might not be totally comfortable with that, you know, it, it might not be easy for you to have gospel conversations with people or ask them to read the Bible with you. That might be way out of your comfort zone. But verse 3 reminds us of another necessary characteristic to, to our being a, a faithful witness to Christ when it says that they remain there for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. Boldness doesn't make any sense unless it's against the backdrop of timidity and not being entirely comfortable with it. If they, were in, if they were entirely comfortable with it and it just came easy to them, what sense does it make to call them bold? Right? Boldness is against the backdrop of not being totally comfortable with it. And in fact, they needed boldness. They, it didn't come naturally to them just because they were apostles. Jesus didn't call them as apostles because they were bold, right? He he called them out of His grace, and He equipped them with what they would need. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul lays out the the whole armor of God, at the end end of that passage, Paul himself asks the church in Ephesus to pray for him. Why? That I might boldly proclaim the gospel as I should, right? Why should we expect, and so Paul knew that boldness didn't come naturally to him. He needed their help. Why should we expect to come easier or more naturally to us than it did for Paul? Right? 
So if we, if we feel, if we say, well, I don't know if I could ever ask somebody to read the Bible. Now, I don't know if I could ever just come out and talk about Jesus. If we feel that we need boldness that we don't naturally have in order to bear witness to Christ, well, then join me a company of the apostles. Right? That's where they were. And God will grant it when we ask. And we'll see in a minute, he'll more than reward you. So they spoke from the, when they bore witness, they, they reasoned from the scriptures. And they did it boldly. But the last characteristic we see in, in these early verses is in verse 7, maybe the most important, it says, um, oh, let's see, where am I going? Oh, goodness gracious. I don't know how to use this thing. Well, just look at your Bible. Verse 7, and there they continued to preach the gospel. They continued to preach the gospel. They kept their focus on the gospel. They kept their focus on Jesus. What is the gospel? What is When it says they, 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 they continue to preach the gospel, don't just assume you, you know what that means, even if you're correct. You want to know what, what Luke meant when he said that? So what's this other parallel passage in Acts 17 that helps us discover what he means when they says they continue to preach the gospel? Remember that? He went in there in Acts 17, and Paul went in as was his custom, and three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Here's what the gospel is. Explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So when it says they continued to preach the gospel, it means they kept the focus on Jesus, who he was, what he did. So when you're talking with someone about, I mean, we go on campus a lot and try to try to pray with people and talk with people about the faith people want to talk about all sorts of stuff they want to get sidetracked on all all kinds of issues that's the challenge when you're bearing witness to christ is not to get sidetracked along with them and keep the focus on jesus and what he's done for us knowing that that is the message that saves you can talk with them for hours about how science and faith correlate with each other and that's interesting and all well and good but nobody is saved by believing a certain thing about science they're they're saved by trusting in christ and so keep the message on christ and knowing that that might not be at all what they want to talk about they may not believe in the slightest at first but knowing if you keep the focus on christ then when they walk away from you, they might think that was the dumbest conversation I ever had. That's the, if you kept the focus on Christ, that's the message that the Holy Spirit is going to keep in their hearts like a rock in their shoe, right? And it could bear fruit in the future. So if these early verses teach us anything about the witness of the apostles, which should characterize our own witness, it was bold, it was focused on the scriptures and the message of Christ. But if this chapter teaches us anything else, is that we should expect all kinds of reactions and responses. And they got all kinds of reactions. Let's think about that, the reaction of the people for a minute. I said earlier, I think this might be the most prominent thing about this chapter. Um, it's really interesting to note the different responses they got uh, in these different cities they went to on the first missionary journey uh let's start with the most positive one because first of all it's clear that when you we, we already read the whole chapter it's clear that in uh in each place they went there were some people maybe even many that believed right 
Um, it even says toward the end, it, this one little sentence, and later in the chapter when it says, um, they went on with, in verse 20, they, he and Barnabas went on to Derby, and when they had preached the gospel of that city, they made many disciples. So, uh, we, and we also see that in verse 2, uh, that people came to, well, in verse 1, actually, spoke in such a way that both Jews and Greeks believed. And, yeah, just all through that, the people believed. There were enough successes on this missionary journey that when they reported back to the church in Antioch at the end of the chapter, they were able to, able to say in verse 27 that God had opened a, a, a door of faith to the Gentiles. So when we spread, when we spread the, the, the seed of the gospel broadly, there will be people who come to faith in Christ. Um, so we just got to be diligent to spread the seed and spread it broadly. And as we'll see, some of these people came to faith in very hard places. So that's, that's one. Some people believe. That's one response. I want to highlight two other kinds of responses they got uh, that, are, that are noteworthy. So the first is the kind of response they got uh, in the city of Lystra. They, they go to Lystra, and, and in verse 8, it starts that account. When Paul, remember what happened, when Paul uh, and Barnabas entered Lystra, uh, they, they saw a crippled man. It's kind of like the, it reminds you of the story in Acts 3 with Peter and John. They healed a crippled man. But they, they healed this man who had never walked before. Something was wrong with his feet. Never walked before. And they, the Lord healed him through Paul and Barnabas, and he was able to walk and jump around. And uh, he sprang up <laughs> and began walking. Well, that got everybody's attention in town, as it probably would. And instead of causing, though, them to to listen then, oh, what, look, look what happened. Let's listen to what this guy has to say. Instead of doing that, they began praising Paul, praising Barnabas. Greek gods have come down to us. Let, uh, Barnabas is Zeus. Paul is Hermes. Hey, priest of Zeus, come, offer sacrifices to these guys. Something happened similar to that. Remember back in chapter 12 when they called Herod a god, and he was like, yeah, and he, he was eaten by a worm, and he died. Uh, but they, they didn't do that. Paul and Barnabas wailed and tore their garments. Why are you doing this? Repent and trust in Christ. But it says in verse 18 that even with those words, they scarcely, scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. What do you take away from that? Well... What they saw was uh, something powerful, something amazing, something attractive, something... What did they see? They saw fame and celebrity in Paul and Barnabas. That's what they saw. And I think this may teach us in our culture, in, our, in, in every culture really, but ours is no exception, something about people and culture in general, uh, more than necessarily how someone might respond to you, share the gospel with you, they're not going to start worshiping you. But it does teach us in our culture, and in culture broadly, has been since the beginning, that some people, maybe many people, miss the message of the gospel because they're so enamored with the fame of the preacher. Or, well, for that matter, too often, the fame and celebrity deceives the preacher too, and they preach destructively false teaching to their thousands of enamored followers. Many, though, of those people even profess to be interested in the faith. They miss the, the message of, of Christ and the gospel because they're caught up in so many other meaningless things. 
crowds are in church buildings for that reason. Their eyes were so fixed on, on Paul and what, he, what, what just happened through his hands that their ears were deafened to the Christ that was coming out of his mouth. So many are involved in a particular church or are excited about it because of the music or the building or the atmosphere or the crowd or the preacher. Reasons that have not nece- they don't necessarily have anything to do with Jesus. Anything. And, it, and it's, just, it, it's just heartbreaking uh, as, as we see it happening here, happening in the first century, still happening today. And also the other kind of response that we see compared to that. That's a relatively peaceful kind of response, as, as awful as it is. But, just, you know, uh, it's a, a different response that they found both in Iconium and, and from others in Lystra. Um, back in those early verses... Uh, when Paul preached in Iconium, uh, he, we saw that many, many people had believed the gospel, but really, verse 4 says that the city was divided. Some sided with the Jews, some sided with uh, the apostles. And we're going to learn through the rest of this chapter that those who sided with the Jews, they didn't just not believe. Um, they wanted to, as verse 5 puts it, they wanted to mistreat them and wanted to stone them to death. So Paul and Barnabas caught wind of it, and they fled uh, to the next town, which was uh, Lystra. Lystra, by the way, this is going to come back. Lystra was about 18 miles away from Iconium. So when they caught wind that they were about to get stoned to death in Iconium, they fled, and they fled 18 miles to Lystra. Okay? Uh, And we found that in Lystra, that was where some people wanted to offer sacrifices to them, but that wasn't the only response they got in Lystra. One of, my, one of the most amazing verses to me in this chapter is verse 19. Look at verse 19. Uh, it says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead easy to pass by those first few details like i've already mentioned that iconium was about 18 miles away from lystra it says people came from iconium jews came all the way from iconium just to stir up trouble in lystra they traveled 18 miles just to stir up trouble for paul and barnabas 18 miles but where else does it say they came from antioch antioch was over a hundred miles away Antioch was over a hundred miles from Lystra. So not only did, did unbelieving Jews travel 18 miles to cause trouble and to mistreat them and, and to stop the spread of the gospel in Lystra, those from Antioch traveled over a hundred miles to do that. Probably on foot. That's amazing. Just to persecute them and to kill them. That, that's an example of the other kind of response to the message of the gospel. Some people miss it because they're just so enamored by other things, other flashy things. Others miss it because of their blind hatred of Jesus and anybody who follows him. And now today, obviously, we have that kind of response too. There are a lot of people who aren't simply opposed to Jesus in their heart and mind, and it stops at, well, I don't want anything to do with him. Some people just feel compelled to be opposed to Christ in a hostile way. You know? You know something's going on. I've told you this before. 
if I went up to somebody on the concourse and said, I believe in unicorns, somebody would just be like, can you get away from me? I, I, they wouldn't. No, they would, that guy's weird. If I go up to the same person and say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, I get an entirely different response. Something is going on in, in the second that's not going on with the first. So this chapter shows us three different responses. Some people believe. Some people were kind but were completely uninterested in the gospel. And some hated Jesus and the gospel. Paul knew he couldn't control the, the kinds of responses he received, so he just stayed faithful to the task of bearing witness to Christ. And I, I, I held this, this other uh, verse about the apostles' witness off to later. <laughs> the most amazing is not verse 19, it's verses 20 to 22. So we, we learn in verse 19 that they stoned Paul. I don't want to describe it to you. If you're really interested, you can look it up, what stoning in the first century was like. There's a reason they assumed he was dead. Verse 20, but when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and went back into the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, the very place where some offered sacrifice to him and the place where some stoned him almost to death. He went back there and to Iconium and to Antioch where people had come 100 miles and 18 miles to do it. He went back to those places continuing to preach the gospel. That's amazing. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what they thought? Holy cow. The Lord blessed him as he bore witness, which is the last thing I want us to see quickly. I want us to see very quickly the, the work of the Lord. We're reminded through all the chapter that the Lord was working in all of this to build his church. We don't build his church. He does. He does it through us, but he builds it. Early in the chapter when they were in Iconium, as they were preaching the gospel, verse 3 says that the Lord also bore witness to the word of his grace. As they bore witness, the Lord was bearing witness through them. In the middle of the chapter, as they were, people in Lystra were trying to offer sacrifices to them, Paul reminds them in verse 17 that God had not, ever, had, had not left himself without a witness to them. He's, given, he's shown you that he is God by giving you rains and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts. You should worship him, not me or any other God. God has borne witness to himself in, in creation. And then at the end of the chapter, when they were reporting back to the church in Antioch, like we saw, they reported in verse 27, all that God had done with them, not all, listen to all we did. No, listen to all that God did through us. Wow. Bottom line is this. This chapter teaches us that when we're faithful to bear witness to Christ, as unflashy as it may ever seem, nothing is ever wasted. If we're faithful to bear witness to Christ, we can expect all kinds of reactions. But in every case, we can know that God will be doing his work in and through us as we do it. It may seem insignificant, but every little act of witness you make is part of a larger story, a good story of God building his church. Let's pray.